0: A few weeks ago, the banking system started to wobble. And as liquidity came back into the system, we saw Bitcoin make a massive move from 19,000 to almost 30,000, topping around 29,000. Now struggling it for the last few weeks around that number, right around 28,000. But what really was behind that move? And what can we look forward to in the future once we dig into why? this happened. I've got three amazing guests today. We're going to talk about Bitcoin and inevitably the rest of the market. And well, you know, these uh, conversations on Thursdays take a life of their own. I've got Joshua Frank from the tie, Connor Ryder from Keiko. And of course, Jon Turpin from Wintermeet. You guys do not want to miss this. Stick around. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of Wall Streets. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel and uh, reverse fist bump the like button. Do whatever you want to like button. I know that a lot of you guys are weird and have strange predilections, and you're going to do whatever you want with the like button, no matter what I tell you to do. So anyways, as I said, I've got three amazing guests today for our weekly roundtable. Obviously, we've sort of started uh, honing in. On these longer form, larger conversations, going to Twitter spaces on Tuesdays, as I mentioned, if you guys uh, missed the last one, we had Balaji, Caitlin Young, uh, uh, excuse me, Caitlin Long, Anthony Scaramucci, Melton Demir is a huge one last week. Of course, Sailor uh, the week before and this coming week, uh, Mike Novogratz, obviously Galaxy CEO and uh, Chris uh, Giancarlo, who is the former CFTC chairman, who actually uh, wasn't an asshole and liked crypto. So much so that we called him Crypto Dad, and he wrote a book that was called Crypto Dad. Wouldn't you kill to have guys like uh, Brian Brooks and even Jake Clayton, God, and Chris back in power as regulators in the United States? Because whatever we have now, it ain't working. But we're going to talk about all of that and more right now. I'm bringing on Josh Connor. And of course, Yoan, I'm just going to call you Yo because you put it there, and it's better. That's cool. go. let yeah, I mean, do you get confused though when everyone in the street's like, "Hey, Yo!" Like to anyone, do you respond no matter what?
1: Um, this to be a recurring joke as well, but is this, this okay? Yes, so I'm not.
0: am not original. Is what you're telling me? Not, not the no, first no, time no, I've no, been told that don't I've made like that My my dad jokes <laughs> that they don't always land. To be quite honest. So listen, as I said in the intro, there's. Quite a, lit, quite, quite a bit to dig into as to why we might have seen this move uh, effectively from 19000 to $29,000. Now, there's some people who believe it's because banks collapsed and there was a move to Bitcoin as a store of value or a flight to safety. I spoke with Sailor; Even he said, I don't really think that's what happened. I think it was a bunch of crypto natives uh, selling their altcoins to buy Bitcoin, and that's what's happening. But, Connor, I know you've talked about this quite a lot, that it might really be more about liquidity. Is that a, an accurate assessment? Yeah, yeah. In
2: my opinion, it is anyway. Um, look, like, yeah, if you told me that Bitcoin would, would be up 60% for the year, 20% for the month of March, considering the, the regulatory issues it's faced, I'd probably laugh at you at the start of the year, to be honest. um, it, it, it Don't get me wrong. It's been impressive. Um, And the narrative that kickstarted the whole move definitely does make a lot of sense. Like, Bitcoin is this decentralized store of value that, that the banks can't touch. And for the first time since Bitcoin's inception, we saw a confidence of crisis, or a crisis of confidence in the banks. Um, so, as I said, the, the, the reason for the narrative makes a lot of sense. But, but the problem I have is when people probably equate this like twenty percent rally in March to a lot of new money coming into Bitcoin and people pulling USD out of smaller banks and exchanging it for Bitcoin and holding all their savings in Bitcoin. I have a bit of an issue with that. Uh, and as I said, yeah, largely due to the liquidity or like specifically the lack of liquidity in Bitcoin markets right now. So. At Keiko, we have a bunch of different metrics measuring liquidity, and one of which, the one we like to use probably the most is market debt. So we sum the bids and the asks on both sides of the order book uh, within a certain percentage level of the price. So that kind of measures the, the dollar liquidity, I guess, on, on an order book. And what we're seeing right now for Bitcoin specifically is 10-month lows for, for liquidity, and market debt is a 10-month low. So that's lower than level since the FTX collapse. That's it's hit new lower levels now with the with the issues we've seen in the last month. And I, I'm sure we'll talk in more about in the podcast about the reasons why liquidity is so low. But, yeah, in short, basically, I find it kind of hard to trust any rally in crypto prices right now, purely because of the illiquidity on order books. Um, it's, yeah, as I said, you have with, with more, with less liquidity, you have more volatility in markets. There's less support to the downside, but also less resistance to the upside. So we just see these massive price swings when there's low liquidity in markets. And yeah, as I said, it's kind of, it's hard to trust any rally
3: right now in crypto.
0: Josh, is that aligning with the data that you're seeing?
3: Yeah, I mean, look, I think liquidity has definitely dried up um, on a number of different exchanges. I mean, remember that there's also uh, very few trading venues that people can trust these days. And that's especially important for institutions. Whereas institutions were trading on FTX before, there's now obviously concerns around Binance and institutions are nervous uh, deploying capital on Binance. So I think that's, I think, I think that's a fair assessment, right? And obviously, low liquidity also means we can move very quickly, you know, down uh, as well, right? So it's not low liquidity doesn't just mean movements the upside; it could also mean very sharp movements the downside. I, I pulled up similar data and, and and seeing similar patterns. Obviously, you know, one of the things as well to note is that Binance was offering free Bitcoin trading, I, I believe, against BUSD, uh, which is now removed, which probably has some impact. But even looking at uh, U.S. based exchanges, we're seeing the same impact. So it seems to be kind of across the board but we're seeing you know from institutions this 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 and by institutions I mean traditional institutions you know very much a hesitation in this market just given that there's not many venues that they can trust which might be you know partly leading to the problem that Connor's describing
0: yeah yo obviously yeah, so feel- you're at one of those you're at one of those institutions that's trying to uh, move within this market with size right I mean winter mute now in the sort of the wake of FTX you guys have been described even I think by Forbes is one of the you know largest uh, trading institutions, most successful in the space. So. so, so when we,
1: um, I'm sort of taking the blame as well, but I'll, I'll explain why while we are we here. Um, we are when we're not the largest, we're the second largest spot market maker in the crypto space. We are quite big in the, in the DeFi uh, space as well, of course. Um, obviously, most of Bitcoin trades in trades in C5. And it's been there's been some shift of the volumes from from C5 to D5. So actually just less exposure, I would say, from uh traders to 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 Bitcoin. Um to give you an idea, I think uh and it's more important we'll the shift the blame to three arrow guys or, or a few other firms that could have managed their, their risk much better and uh, you know built some some trust across the space, but um we we trade about sort of three, five billion dollars a day these days, um, but Sort of late, I uh, would say November, November 2021 was probably the peak where we trade more like $25 billion a day. Um, and now the market share probably increased actually between 2021 and, and now. Um, so we're more like anywhere between 7 to 16% market share. So we're taking some of the blame, but it's also a lot less um, yeah, margin that we can get essentially on top of the balance sheet. So we pretty much trade pretty much very equity these days um uh, and, and then essentially you know let's assume that you know 2021 or so we had more like sort of maybe maybe a 5x or so on the balance sheet uh where now it's just, just essentially no leverage so that that that's just reflected in the overall volumes and that's reflected this is just a symptom of the space in general where some of our competitors have you know exactly the same issues um right but so you're saying does,
0: basically that you're you have you're you're trading 20 percent of the volume as you were at the peak but you're a much larger percent of the market share yeah is that because yeah. of how many people have been completely washed out is that because of lack of banking access is that because the pairs have moved to more to stable coins and less to dollars all of those things
1: all of those things all of those things um we always go through these phases where there's a bit of like i mean we've seen that in sort of 2000 Let's say 1617 or so you get the wealth effect in BTC in the mains and then you get people, people, um, you know, enjoying the wealth effect. And sometimes actually the lack of access to the fiat rails is actually good for Alts, uh, or, or the rest of the crypto ecosystem because people can't, can't, can't cash out, uh, for USD as such. Um, but when like we, you know, hopefully, hopefully the rise in, in BTC these days will also mean, um, upside for Alts, you know, later in this year. Um, but that's more the the optimist in me speaking now. So it's so, you know we'll 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 see we'll see how we can address that. I would say um, I would say, especially from the U.S. perspective, yeah, the, the access to banking and on has been quite affected. Um, you know, I mean, Connor's probably got uh, a ton of a ton of ideas and a ton of stats on you know why why they're moving Bitcoin. But I would say I'm still I'm a, in favor of the flight to non safety when you basically have uh, usdc or you know some other some stable coins that are you know getting more under threat i mean luckily it's all it's all gone gone well but um if you if you end up holding an asset that you think can just you know be stable and it but it can still go to zero and uh you know if it's if you if you want to move if you realize that your safe assets are not safe and then you're just better off just moving to an asset where you actually have upside as much as downside um so it's, you know, that, 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 that would be a logic similar to, you know, many cycles yeah. that we've seen. There. I
0: mean, I, I've told the story here, but just anecdotally, even when we saw the banking collapse start to happen in Silvergate and there were rumors around mm-hmm. Silicon Valley, I quickly looked, realizing USDC probably had some exposure and I even myself moved USDC into Bitcoin, <laughs> right? And actually my, mm-hmm. and my opinion at the time was Bitcoin's probably going to dump, but at least it'll exist You know what? I was worried about USDC for about twenty four hours. Luckily, it went from uh, nineteen thousand to twenty eight thousand right after I bought it. But like I'm, you know, I'm just a casual investor myself. I'm not running a fund, and that's what I did, right? I moved into Bitcoin for me. But that's sort of the argument that a crypto native would do that. I don't think my dad would have done that, right? Yeah,
1: maybe I've done the dad move in two thousand and eight. So I had uh, first trading bonus, and I just moved it from my bank that I thought would go down. To yeah. the house, <laughs> nice. <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't very liquid. It didn't end up making money, whatever. Seven years later, it wasn't it? Wasn't very liquid, but at least there was a, a better perspective than just leaving money at the bank. Um, okay, so it, another.
0: It, Go ahead. Uh, any, any, either Joshua or Connor, but I mean, we still did see a massive move, right? That can't just be because there's a, It's easier to move through the order book. There has to still be something behind that, right? I mean, is it purely trading, or is there a real narrative here? Well,
2: yeah, I guess the narrative is that it's it's, it's crypto people moving crypto into BTC. Uh, and so we saw Bitcoin like outperforming the whole market. So uh, in that terms of narratives, I'm completely on board with. Uh, and as you said, it's it, it, like it, everyone or as yourself, you, you invest in USDC and you swap it into Bitcoin um, and your question of safety gets kind of challenged. Um, and for crypto people, Bitcoin is really the safest option. Um, so I, I'm fully on board with that narrative. The issue I have then is when people, I guess, um, equate it to yeah, a bunch of people pulling smaller uh, USD out of smaller banks into Bitcoin. Yeah, that's, that, that's the issue I have. And yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah I, mean, I, treasuries. Think, I think there's. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, there's a, there's a number of things uh, that, that, that kind of happen at the same time. I, I certainly do think there are some people that bought into the narrative, which lasts about a week of Bitcoin being a hedge against banks. Um, you know, crypto likes to go through narratives and cycles. And usually those narratives last, you know, between one and four weeks. And then we move on to the next thing. And so I think that certainly did take shape uh, for for a period of time. I mean, I think there's some other things as well. Uh, You know, you had CZ come out and saying that he's going to take his industry fund from BUSD and stables into crypto. Uh, Fortune came out with a great story and saying that that did not happen. And he actually just sent it to another finance wallet. Uh, But, you know, I think the the fact that he came out and said that they were going to be buying more Bitcoin uh, did in some way, you know, did in some way at least kind of set off the market. Uh, And there's a few I mean, there's a few other things as well. I don't think there's necessarily one great explanation. Uh, for it, you know, you could just have a few big, big funds or traders or wells that decide they want to move into Bitcoin and in a low liquidity environment, move the market. I think the other thing worth noting, I mean, I don't know how notable this is. And, and, and honestly, given that you guys look at market data more than I do, I'd be curious as to, to both of your opinions. But one of the things that we saw with Dogecoin the other day, which was kind of interesting, you know, on the back of Elon changing the logo on Twitter, is that a huge amount of that volume was happening in Korean won a huge amount of that activity was happening in Korea. We saw, I think it was about 800 uh, million in activity on Upbit, Upbit, which is one of the big Korean exchanges on, on the, on the uh, uh, Doge KRW pair, versus about 300 million in volume on Coinbase on the Doge uh, USD pair, uh, which is really interesting to see. And if you look at the last few weeks, a lot of the movement on the upside has actually came uh, in Asian hours, and we're seeing a lot more movement into alts as well. And I don't, I don't know if that's a silly great explanation, uh, but but an interesting thing to at least note. Yeah, well, we I saw the same uh... thing with
2: Korea. Sorry, Yo. I'll just say we saw the same thing in Korea and the data as well. And not to try, bring it back again to liquidity, but Doge liquidity is also like very low right now as well. We saw liquidity drop 70% uh, in coinciding with that spike at the 1% level. So um, again, it, it starts with a narrative, but then the bigger price swings are as a result of this illiquidity we're seeing on order books right now.
1: Yeah, I think it's a function of, um, I mean, going back, taking a step back on the comparables with 2021 is that I think the big factor then was uh, killing the China retail flow from November 21, and it was very much just removing a ton of. I mean, it was at the point of whatever dot com, and and you know, people just in small villages just you know pitching crypto. Uh, so I can understand that someone would want to step in, but I think I think I think some of that flow is, uh, you know, has definitely disappeared and that I, and I removes a lot of some more granular flow um, in, in the order book. Um, Korea is quite an interesting space where uh, we don't operate because it's very difficult with, uh, with you know, uh, effects controls and the banking system and so on. But they have a very interesting culture. I mean, I'm going to Seoul uh, on Sunday again, and they have this culture that makes it quite monolithic in terms of like this new trends, and then it's just like everyone just goes along with it. So it's, it's, um, it's quite, it's quite powerful trends when they, when they start. So it's interesting to hear the, the com yeah, I, really.
0: I don't have the exact article I was looking for, but I remember last week it was big news that when that on that XRP move, that all the volume was coming from South Korea mm-hmm. and that on three of the exchanges, it was like upwards of 30, 35% of the total volume for 24 hours was ripple trading. I mean, there, doesn't this just tell us that, uh, South Koreans love to gamble.
3: <laughs> I mean, that, and that, that is, by the way, that is
0: indisputable. If you look at the metrics and where the volume comes from, every exchange I've talked to is much more highly focused, specifically on Korea and Asia than anywhere else, because they trade with massive size, high leverage, and on short-term positions.
3: Well, so one of the things that I heard from somebody who's who's very knowledgeable about the Korean market broadly, not just crypto, is that in, in, in Korea specifically, there's kind of this belief that it's, it's much harder to become self-made, to make a tremendous amount of money, right? You know, you kind of have this culture with the che balls, with the few big companies like Samsung and others, where that, that there's kind of this goal to just go work for these big organizations. And so, the only way that I think, or th- that I was told, this is just me repeating my, you know, repeating what I was told, is you know that 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 a lot of people in Korea view their opportunity to make a leg up is to really gamble and to double down and to go into things and to move size. And that might explain uh, some of some of that culture behind the
0: scenes. But so the implication there, we're talking about the Doge move to kind of comparing to the past. You used to see Elon Musk when he didn't even own Twitter mention doge and see 30, 50, 70 percent moves. Now he literally changes the logo for days and it goes up 30 percent and then retraces
3: so so we actually 60, have 70
0: percent of that. We actually <laughs> yeah. have
3: data on that. So On a relative basis, so we tracked all this in in, uh, 2020, 2021, and then we stopped tracking it because he kind of stopped tweeting about Doge post-SNL for a little bit. Um, But on a relative basis, this was the fifth largest. We tracked about 20 Doge, Elon, Twitter-related events. I think there are more than that, but we have about 20. This was the fifth largest in terms of price impact. But interestingly, the second largest ever in terms of social impact so within 24 hours after the announcement, there's about a 600% increase in Twitter volume around Dogecoin. The highest ever increase that we saw was actually his first ever Doge tweet. So this definitely had a, a massive impact in the market that we haven't seen uh, in a few few years as it relates to Elon, which makes sense because he changed the freaking logo of Twitter to, uh, to, to, to Shiba Inu.
0: Yeah, that that uh, was more than I expected, to be quite honest, just kind of looking at it from the outside. But it's nice to know that he still, I guess, has uh, the ability to utterly manipulate our market. But so all of this, all of this speaks to the fact that there's a hell of a lot less interest and and liquidity here. But, yo, I want to ask you, so your your market making Mm -hmm. is a lot of this because the incentive for market makers is much less. There's much less money to be made doing it in this environment. And that sort of is a self-fulfilling prophecy to create more of a this sort of lack of spread you know wider spreads and and i mean i read i think last week it said that a hundred thousand dollar order on coinbase could cause two and a half percent slippage right now which
1: mm, that sounds, seems, uh, that seems seems ridiculous that, that, that was that, that was seems, yeah that seems pretty excessive in which and yeah. maybe just the, the the least liquid coin maybe that we don't happen to yeah to the um so just for the for the for the sign of a hundred thousand dollars you can you can come to us for an OTC. Like you can go through an OTC desk usually. Now, you do see like 100000 dollars like orders sort instead of conveys or Kraken, to be honest. Uh, going through the book, it would be a bit bit excessive. Um, but um no it's 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 very much in terms of liquidity provision. It's true that the the less you know number of market makers we have uh, you know on the on the planet essentially obviously it's it it will get a bit less liquid. Um, but you know, we, we very much do our best to keep the, the spreads as tight as possible. The um, we we went through for another side note. Actually, we went through a uh, you know we've been venture funded as such, and during our Series A, so uh, Jeremy New from from Lightspeed gave a, a very nice way of explaining our business. So it's sometimes difficult for people to understand, you know, uh, liquidity provision slash, you know, market making. Especially if people have given like a pretty bad name to market makers. So yeah, market, we, we, everybody we just thinks stick a
0: market maker to... is the whale that's uh, moving the market. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So we just,
1: we just, we just stick to liquidity provision these days, um, which could be confused with some LP, you know, sort of pools in in, uh, in DeFi though. But that guess even more confusing. But let's say with that, with whenever you want to buy or sell some clients, then you know, we are there on the other side and we risk our funds. So, so we taking so for the risk of taking a position that basically that we don't necessarily want, we're taking, we're taking a small spread. And Jeremy had this very nice way of the our business, which is uh, we make sure you don't get ripped off, essentially. So whenever you want to buy or sell a coin, then we just make sure you don't get ripped off. So when we do a good job, means it means it's this we do that. We we do cover only 350 coins. uh of the twenty thousand, oh some something, <laughs> something. I don't know how many coins are there. To be honest, I haven't checked recently. on market cap. Someone wants to check it. It may be twenty five thousand that have
0: been issued. I don't know.
3: Oh, there's there's um, way more than that. I mean, people issue like thousands of ERC twenty stupid coins a week. So it just depends yeah. on what your definition of a, of a coin is.
0: <laughs> Does e- anything with ENU count, or are those all? Uh... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's also true. <laughs> but it, so
1: we, we trade you know the 350 coins which is which is much you know larger as far as I know than, than, than most of our competitors and um yeah and then we are like usually a business like ours we can scale up to let's say 20-25 percent market share but it's a bit difficult to go beyond that without starting you know taking a bit bit too much risk on the balance sheet so we trade what's called you know market neutral so we don't necessarily make money if things go up and down and then we we, we, we make tiny amounts of money so um, but yeah, to your point, Scott, this is very much really volume sensitive. It's better if things move around, um, but we don't decide. So we just, we're yeah. just, uh, our job is just to have, you know, solid infrastructure, just be, be quite, um, you know, reliable and, and scalable and essentially, and then, you know, just, just be there, um, you know, maximize the time we're in the market and, and, and minimize the spreads and so on that yeah, that will take for the people take positions against us.
0: Yeah, but knowing that it could have been this sort of lack of liquidity that moved us from 19 to 28, how does that explain the fact that we've been sitting with such low volatility around 28,000 for basically three weeks now? I mean, if you look at the weekly chart, we've kind of made this move up and we've had these tiny little dojis on the two weeks. Literally, the weeks opened at 28 and closed to 28 the last two weeks, and we're basically at 28 right now. So shouldn't we be seeing much more volatility even here, or do you think that we had the move, and now people are sort of disinterested and waiting to see what happens next.
1: I think it's. I think it's interesting to see if. Um, I mean, to to, to kind of Spawn earlier, it's, just, it's it's true that there's this liquidity, so we can move faster up, and we can also move faster down. I think it's it's a bit of a you know people people are looking at each other and, and uh, you know waiting to wait to see the first sell and follows, <laughs> or, or waiting to to see the next buy. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Um, maybe maybe joshua maybe or, or connor you've got some data on sort of short interest we don't really have this in crypto or we don't really see much of this but usually when you look at legs up you sort of trying yeah, to you figure want to be out sh- if, people
0: piling in with heavy yeah. shorts and negative and negative funding right of course
1: exactly and then if, when they get pushed out and then they, you end up with a short squeeze and then, then, it, then it goes up and then it makes a ton of sense why why it went up um, so it's a bit of a, you know how much pain can people uh, sustain on, on a certain position Um, But I don't know. I just want to throw it uh, through a ball to kind of just show it. I don't know if there's any data out there.
2: Yeah, Yeah. so we track derivatives. And what we've seen is basically now part of it is because spot volume has dropped so much. But what we've seen is that the spot to derivatives ratio um, on the derivative side is is the highest it's been in over a year right now. So derivatives are driving a large part of the market and potentially just in the last two or three weeks, as we said, we saw this kind of influx of spot volume three weeks ago. But since then, it's actually dropped significantly. And as Joshua was saying earlier, a large part of that is actually down to Binance removing zero fee trading for Bitcoin, USD, USD and USDT pairs. So that the, the importance of that can't be overstated really because Binance the most liquid exchange, BTUSD... BTC tether, BTC tether is the most liquid pair in crypto, and we've seen we saw volumes on uh, the Bitcoin tether pair on Binance drop ninety percent nearly overnight. We've saw we've seen um the, the share of zero free trading on Binance, so those pairs that accounted for one sixty percent of volume only like a month ago now only account for twenty percent of volumes on Binance. So. This is to do with, again, liquidity flowing out of the space, but also on the flip side then, that actually means that more price action and more price discovery is happening in derivatives markets right now. And that's what we're seeing really. So that, that could explain maybe the, the the lack of activity in the last three weeks in spot markets is that there's this probably huge leverage building up in derivatives markets, and it's just a matter of time before before we see maybe a bigger price move.
0: Which side is it piling up on?
2: Uh, well, the funding rate's are pretty neutral right now, but what, what we usually see is funding rates building to one side and then liquidating and then bouncing back to neutral so right now it's pretty neutral so you've kind of a uh, a neutral sentiment right now. Because um, as I said, yeah, there's there's reasons to be bullish, reasons to be bearish. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I think if no you did a in- Twitter Twitch.
0: poll right now, you know, 30,000 next or 26,000 next, you'd get a 50-50. You know, exactly. I, I think yeah. it's just one of those times and that's being reflected in funding rates and in sentiment. Go ahead, Josh.
3: Well, if you look at CME data specifically, so CME uh, reports their commitment to traders. Last time it was on the 28th of March. So it is, you know, less than two weeks ago. Um, you know, we saw that hedge funds were net short. They had about 7,200 short positions uh, on Bitcoin futures versus about 4,100 long uh, long positions. And we're starting to see a little bit more of a divergence, at least among hedge funds on the CME, uh, going net short. So to kind Good. of answer, you know, Yo's question. Good.
0: we can go up. Uh, interesting, talking about net short. I mean, the story that sort of kind of was lost last week, I think, was the United States government selling off the Silk Road coins that they had, basically 50,000 coins. I can't remember the exact date, March 14th, I think, maybe is what it was. They sold basically 10,000 coins. The market's been largely unaffected. We always have these mass panics about huge amounts of supply coming onto the market and what's going to happen. I mean, how many times have we been told to sell all our Bitcoin because Mt. Gox creditors are going to get their Bitcoin back, right? but the United States government has fifty thousand coins to sell and told, sold ten thousand into this environment on spot, reportedly on Coinbase. Well, you can
3: thank you can and, thank Michael Saylor for netting more than ten thousand Bitcoin over the last. year. Oh, so he bought. Thousand. So he
0: basically bought the Silk Road Bitcoin from the government. <laughs> uh, that, that, that basically. <laughs> but it, you would think that that would be that would have been a extremely impactful thing and it really wasn't even in this environment right i mean how do we account for the fact that we have extremely low liquidity but even when you get a huge sort of seller in the market
3: billions of daily trading volume right so keep that in mind i mean binance still does well over even today has done well over a billion of bitcoin trading volume right so keep that in mind i mean ten thousand bitcoin is is what you know what what's the number 28 million dollars or is it to, uh, my, is my math more. right? $280 million. Big, bigger number. $280 million. <laughs> $280 million. That's my number. That's the number. But still that's that's like a, yeah. less than 20% of Binance's trading volume, right? That's just on a single exchange.
0: So we don't need to worry about these massive uh, liquidity uh, selling events that everybody's concerned about at all times with Mt. Gox and the United States government. And what are the other ones? We've got some other huge narrative. Oh, yeah, because well, everyone well, thought that GBTC was going to become insolvent. We we're going to have to sell off all of their uh, Bitcoin.
3: Well, and all the ETH staking uh, rewards, uh, you know, becoming liquid within the next couple Let's of weeks. Let's talk about yeah. that.
0: Let's talk about that. So I, I, take the, uh, I take the that's bullish, not bearish narrative, and i mean i can give the the very quick reason i think that if you staked not knowing if you were ever going to be able to get your coins out you're not in a rush to get them out you were the type of person who is willing to support the protocol and was staking for a reason long term and i think that there's a hell of a lot of people on the sidelines who want to stake but want to see first that they will be able to get their coins out before putting that in but there seems to be the flip side narrative which is everybody's going to sell the minute that they can i don't Really think that's going to happen, but you guys may have a different take on that. Connor, I see you're nodding your head. you want to jump in?
2: Yeah, well, I, I can give another reason is that 60, like 65% of each stakers are underwater at the price they staked at. So uh, you're going to get this stake deep return to you, but it's going to be less than what you paid for it initially. Uh, so there's another reason why there might be that much selling. Uh, I think it's, yeah, I, I take the side as bullish as well. It should make Ethereum as an asset class or as a, a token, I guess, more liquid as a whole. Like what we're seeing right now with these, like they, they do have these liquid staking derivative tokens. Obviously, we see Lido's version. Um, they aren't that liquid. The reality is these liquid staking tokens aren't actually that liquid. We saw it get, Celsius get into trouble holding large amounts of steed. Um, So the reality is that this hopefully will lead to a lot more adoption of staked Ethereum because now there's actually a liquid alternative to staked Ethereum, whereas before... I know they're called liquid staking derivative tokens, but the reality is they're actually not that liquid. Um, so uh, yeah, I take the bullish side of that one.
3: Yes, yeah, so I think there's a couple of things. And 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 I, I had the pleasure of interviewing uh, Andrew Gibb, who's the CFO and CEO of Twin Stake, this morning for my podcast. And so I, I get to repeat really intelligent things that he said and repackage them. So, uh, you know, given that he's focused full-time on staking, you know, some of the things that he told me, which were rather interesting, uh, is the first thing is that basically... The average ETH validator has 34 ETH. You're supposed to have 32 ETH for staking, which means basically on the day of the upgrade, any amount over those 32, which is two on average times about 500,000 validators, do the math, it's about $2 billion. That's going to get automatically swept out and that's going to take about three days. So within three days, we're going to see about $2 billion worth of ETH get swept out and pushed into wallets. That's an automated process. It's It's not manual. Right. So you're going to have that potentially come to market. And the question is, well, what happens? Like, what does Coinbase do? Does Coinbase automatically restake assets for their users? Do other exchanges do that? Or do they deposit into their accounts? Right. So that's kind of the liquidity that you have uh, coming immediately. Uh, But then in terms of unstaking, my understanding uh, as of this morning is that that is going to take a really long time. It is going to take about 20 days per 10 percent of the ETH that is staked to actually unstake it. And there's no way to unstake faster by paying gas fees. It actually has to do with how fast you line yourself up in the queue. And so you actually track the queue of people waiting to unstake. When you're in that queue, you're actually not you're not earning staking rewards. So basically, uh, people can already start unstaking now, getting ready to unstake. But it is going to take time. So I think the fact that it's not happening immediately, it's not even it's not even possible to happen immediately. It is going to take a long period of time. It means that the impact of it can't be as large as everyone thinks because it's not like okay, all of a sudden, $20 billion is hitting the market tomorrow. It's just going to take longer than that like physically to get the ETH unstake, even if you wanted to.
0: Is the average 34 because those are the interest rewards that people have earned or did people just overstake? I'm assuming it's the interest. No, no, no.
3: The average is it's the interest rewards. Yeah, it's the interest rewards. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, If I can add on to that, I think there's two factors. One small but but at least visible on my side is on the – on the business side of sort of like the institutional sort of stakers and so on, the Figment, Kiln, uh, P2P and so on of the world are quite heavily pitching this, uh, and, and you know, the, the, the the upgrade. Um, and that that will mean you know more interest in in and uh, just holding ETH. Um, and a more general comment that's quite positive for, for ETH in general is that I think last year and I mean, we've we've seen Solana just uh, fade a bit away, uh, probably with with because because Alameda was a bit less involved. Uh, we've seen a lot of you know sort of tier one sort of uh, chains as such uh, uh, fade a bit away, in, especially in the DeFi ecosystem. So uh, as a just background, so our DeFi team covers in, let's say nine chains, but we've been much more recentering towards Ethereum plus you know some Layer Twos these days. Uh, so typically just a few, few ZKs, Arbitrum being uh, being the obvious one. Um, Polygon being the other of this one, but I would say there's there's been some recentering of of the DeFi ecosystem around Ethereum over the last year or so, and I think that's that just means you know people will just go and, and, and continue to hold them. Um, there's there's a few obviously large contenders and so on are quite visible in in, in the press and so on between the Aptos and the Sui and so on, but um, that you know there's still there's still need to there's still a lot of work for them to do and you know build their own ecosystem essentially. So So I think Ethereum is stronger this year than it was like a year or two ago, to be honest.
0: So do we think that that, these are also narrative-driven, the sort of consolidation into ETH and obvious this consolidation into Bitcoin, or is this our normal cycle, right? I mean, because if anyone's been in crypto a while, you know, all the focus goes to Bitcoin, starts to leak down to ETH, and then once uh, that... Well, is that not a narrative in and of itself? Mid-caps, bad to small... Yeah, it's self-fulfilling. Down mid-caps, small caps, back to Bitcoin, Bitcoin moves, I mean... That's how you traded this market for at least five years that I can recall. That I did. Well, I, what you I know. like
3: to say is, when no one's talking about crypto, buy Bitcoin. When everyone's talking about Bitcoin, buy shitcoins. When your grandma starts talking about crypto, sell. Is kind of the right. is kind of the trend we've seen over the. When last a few years. Elon Musk
0: goes on Saturday Night Live, <laughs> and my aunt hits me up and says, "Should I buy Doge ahead of Saturday Night Live?" That's really good sign that it's over.
3: And and none for of a us long saw, time.
0: But I, that actually happened. And I, I've told that story here quite a few times. My, my aunt, who has nothing to do with crypto at all, hit me up and said, I know you're in crypto. Should I buy this Dogecoin thing ahead of Elon Musk going on Saturday Night Live? I said, This is the deadest top of all tops we will ever see. And that was 75 cent Dogecoin. Now we're excited when it pumps to 10. So, uh, yeah, I would say that that was a pretty good top signal. That said, are you guys seeing any clear signals right now that we could be putting in just a local, another local top with all this liquidity? I mean, it's there's a key area under thirty thousand for for there to be a struggle, obviously. Or do you guys think that we can uh, keep keep going up even in the face of all of this bad news and and sort of macro wobbling? Well, one
2: really encouraging thing is that um, the Bitcoin correlation with stocks is actually uh, decorrelating. So it looks like Bitcoin's kind of Potentially finally started that that decoupling process from stocks, which is really interesting. So that's the kind of narrative I'm looking at right now, which is because if you look at, I guess, even like 60 day correlation, a longer term form of correlation, it's just tracked macro, it's tracked all these risk assets, basically, yeah. blow over the last two years. But what we've seen in the last couple of weeks is that's actually flipped for the first time in a long time. So well actually it's flipped before but it's actually been crypto specific incidents on the on the black swan side and the bad side yeah of course decoupled. we decorrelate
0: when ftx go, yeah. goes out of business yeah <laughs> that's yeah. not
2: the kind of decoupling we're after that that that'll lead to existential threats but um yeah this is the kind of decoupling we're after right now is, is bitcoin and crypto being seen as this alternative like asset allocation essentially in, 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 in a wider portfolio and it actually serves a purpose like people are always talking about crypto use cases like what better use case can you have as a percentage of your savings basically so like crypto right now makes sense and Bitcoin makes sense as a, as a, as a safe haven asset on one side of things just as a maybe a, a small allocation of a wider portfolio because of this asset that the banks can't touch and what we've seen right now over the last few weeks is people are starting to realize that maybe the usd that they're holding isn't as safe as they as they once thought so um yeah the, the decoupling narrative is one is one i'm watching right now that, and if we keep decoupling that's kind of what we're after really
0: yeah and i think the 14 40 day moving average of correlation hit sub 0.2 which is basically completely uncorrelated uh last month after topping it like 0.8 right and that's yeah. been a steady process for nine or ten months now even if you watched last summer, I mean, Bitcoin was as boring as it gets and the stock market was all over the place. Like you said, not necessarily the decoupling you want because everybody wants Bitcoin to go up when stocks are struggling and things like that. But we really haven't been that correlated for quite a while. And you mentioned I mean, if we if FTNs. we do
3: look at 90-day at correlation, though, over the last night, I mean, if we look at a 90-day correlation of daily returns, Bitcoin is more correlated to the S&P than gold. And over the last 60 days, it's almost the same thing. So I, I'm very skeptical of this risk-off narrative. And the safe haven narrative. We tried that in 2021. It didn't work. Uh, crypto is still a risk on still a risk on asset class. Uh, there's still a risk on narrative. I don't know. I, I'm I'm I mean I'm curious, Yo, as to your thoughts. But I'm a little skeptical. I would on that um,
1: I would agree, and I would just use my old macro trader hat, basically there. with us uh, more comparing not the 2021 narrative, but more the 2020 when we had the the massive, you know, early COVID uh, money printing and the state balance sheets when you just go like so we went through a few bank failures recently and then we get whatever two trillion dollars extra just um out of you know thinner essentially so you know that money is going to go somewhere and you're going to have the pension manager and the, so it, it will be slow still because it is it is sort of to fly, you know diversifying again uh we saw that in 2020 when it took probably six months or so to go from like paul tudor i think sort of may or june of 2020 and just like publishing this letter and then. We had the big sort of build up from like 10 to 16K or so um, with Brevin and the rest so uh, something starting to put about deploying about a billion, billion and a half in, in, in Bitcoin. Um, so these things can take a bit more time, but that money is going to have to go somewhere. And then it looks like people fearing sort of interest rates and so on just flying up. It's not happening. It's not happening at least as fast. And then and let's not forget that these markets are more like expectation machines or such. It's there to sort of, you know, agree on price of what an asset will be worth essentially more in the future. And if you if the conditions are, are shifting more towards like stable ish interests, or, or at least not 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 flying, not surprisingly uh, uh, going, you know, going higher, um, then we might just get to see some of that money coming into Bitcoin or, or you know, the rest of the ecosystem, to be honest. Um, but yeah, And then we'll, we'll we'll flag the next high when too many Uber drivers are trading on their phones. Uh, I, yeah, I, have, I have one more
3: thing to add as well, which I think is worth noting on the why the market is moving, which I don't think we've hit on, which is the fact that crypto related venture funds raised a tremendous amount of hmm. capital. Tremendous, tremendous, tremendous amount of capital last year and in the year prior. Uh, and they're sitting on that capital in a lot of cases, because if you look at the equity side of crypto, if you look at all the businesses, they're really not very many great businesses that support the crypto ecosystem. And so what's happened is these VC firms that are sitting on dry powder have been forced to basically move into Bitcoin and ETH uh, in the short term. And I think that could also be part of what's driving the market, which is that in light of waiting to actually deploy capital, they're actually, if they've already capital called, right, they have to have capital called. You know, in some cases, they're actually sitting on Bitcoin and ETH uh, now. And I think that might be why Bitcoin and ETH is, is generally moving more than the rest of the market
2: and that just to add on to that, yeah, that's kind of like what we were talking earlier. Where do you, if you do have this dry powder waiting to be deployed, where do you put it now? Do you put it in stables? Not really. The last two weeks we've seen, what. where do you put it? Is Tether the safe option? We all probably are on similar pages with Tether as opposed to how, how, like opaque it is i guess and um, we thought usdc was a safe option we saw that that narrative kind of come into question a few weeks ago so yeah i perfectly like agree with you there that bitcoin and it e seem like the next the next logical options and that's definitely that could have been a reason why why the market's moved
1: yeah and, and there's also i yep. uh, just wanted to, to add on to the the hybrid model that we see nowadays between sort of the vc plus hedge fund kind of uh allocation so this is, this is typically the, you know, how a polychain would work or Pentara and some where They have, you know, they do a lot of seed, but they do a lot of liquid assets as well. Um, I think some of this has been driven also because um, the seed valuations, or the private valuations, really took a long time to come off from 2021 over like 2022. And people started to see much more attractive valuations in the, in the you know, public markets as such. And then and then decided to just you know make a case to the LPs or to the you know to the to then on investors saying just right well you know why don't we diversify and keep it liquid and so on and and I mean we we're discussing about staking earlier, but it's you know when when things are liquid, there's there's options to just go and land or to to stake those coins as well. So I think that led to some diversification. Now yeah, good good question would be about you know where where does that go next? as such is it just rebalancing towards the arts? Uh we get yeah. sufficiently just you know attractive valuations seen. We start to see that more more this year, and then you know go back into um, go back into BTC at some point. We'll see.
0: Yeah, that was literally the exact question I was going to say, Josh. At what point do we see like uh, D V VCs actually start heavily deploying or even having anything to heavily deploy into? Right. I mean, there's obviously way less deal flow right now. As you said, the valuations are smaller, which means the checks you can get in are probably smaller as well. Right. So, and yo, you, know, you they, made they're the They're going to have just, to. Yeah.
3: Yeah, they have to. to. I mean, they have to 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 deploy
0: in a certain amount of time.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Just said exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, I I, I don't know. It's a very difficult question, right? I mean, but what I would say is that there's a lot less competition coming from traditional venture investors now. So, you know, there are a large number of venture investors that were partners at large VC funds that got fired because they invested in FTX. Um, And a lot of those VC funds, you know, that did invest in FTX have said, you know what? You know, and, and these are, I'm talking very large, $50 billion growth equity firms in the US, like real large traditional venture funds that were driving up a lot of the valuations, as well as some of the sovereign wealth funds that led some of the Series B E rounds in crypto. And I'm not calling out names, but you, know, you could figure out who they are, right? A lot of those guys have started to pull back. There have been questions that have been asked from regulators in some case, if it's a sovereign wealth fund or from LPs or other partners if it is a traditional growth equity funded. So I think there's going to be a lot less competition there. So I do think, you know, at some point, it just becomes crypto companies doing doing crypto deals uh, for the most part, at least at least for the time being. And we start to see that capital has to get the point at some point.
0: Yeah. Kind of making the point that a lot of VCs have turned into liquid funds, and, and uh, even if it's Bitcoin, ETH, or other coins, how much of this then has to do, obviously, we've seen the uptick in regulatory enforcement action, Coinbase potentially, you know, being sued by the SEC after their Wells notice, but of course the CFTC coming after Binance. And then there were sort of these secondary reports after that, that a lot of certainly U.S.-based funds could potentially be in trouble for action, you know, trading on Binance, uh, working with Binance. So if you're a liquid fund, even in the United States, Aren't you now extremely fearful or at least limited in even where you can deploy because you're afraid of trading on a foreign exchange or what can happen in DeFi or the assets you're trading being retroactively deemed securities and you get in trouble for trading? Sounds like I mean, you need to trade like, with WinterMute. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so I guess he's the one to answer this, Then. I mean, well, is there fear?
1: Um. There's um, there's a very conscious decision that we've made to to give you a side answer, but still give you enough background. that we've made up not operating in the US because we couldn't really get the clarity that that, that we wanted. So and we also we, we went a lot further than this. So so the business is basically centered through um, so spot we we trade from London and all the derivatives we do for Singapore. So we couldn't get the clarity we wanted for the the local regulator here on the derivative side and they were quite conservative to be honest with touching retail as such so um we we protected in the way that we split the land between you know spot and derivatives and we're also very b2b facing to be to be quite honest as well so that really helped us in terms of getting so we we're not there's no crypto regulation in the uk but there's essentially a registration which means that we do everything we have to do in terms of uh, KYC to so you know your customer and the anti-money laundering, mm-hmm. and and the terrorist financing. It's quite stringent, to be honest. It goes up to ten degrees. But uh, so you you know, just because you know, if you were to just open a new FX account with your with your local broker, probably you need to just show where you got your funds and maybe like one extra degree away. do uh, you got inheritance from your grandma because she made a lot of money on Dogecoin? And then and then essentially <laughs> beyond beyond that, they don't really ask you more questions. You know, but like we have to go ten degrees away, which is fair because you know we, we can't we I mean, the temptation would be good to go, to go all the way down to the origin, but but it's not. Yeah, it's not an easy it's not an easy space to navigate. We 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 have heard some competitors who you know who have more U.S. operations just just you know uh, either completely folding that or just you know moving more to the usual sort of offshore um, you know entity that that sort of came in and so on that you normally use it. Yeah
0: there's just been some language that those offshore entities are not going to hold up right that, at least that was the implication with Binance just because if you're yeah. in the United States you're all in the US and you have a, a came in entity that's trading using a VPN on Binance uh-oh right
1: <laughs> yeah yeah that's what I was reading yesterday as well, well let's not let's not name them but uh, yeah I mean it's, it's it's quite it's quite it's quite tricky I think it's uh it's it's, it's all. Yeah, I think everyone would love to just get a bit more a bit more clarity on the regulatory side. Um, yeah, I mean, I think um,
3: that's gonna add, if, if you look at which venues U.S. firms are going to look to right now, it's Fidelity. I mean, I think that's the biggest one. Uh, I think there's going to be a really big move. And obviously, Fidelity only offers Bitcoin and ETH. They're not offering a large range of different assets. But as it relates to large traditional U.S. institutions that are looking at moving into digital assets, they're getting a million questions of their compliance folks. Uh, there's getting a million questions from senior executives uh, and, 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 and certainly the risk management team. And so I think if you think where that capital is going to be deployed on the U.S. side, I think Fidelity is going to is, you know, they've kind of been the sleeper in the, the market for for quite some time, uh, but they've built some really good infrastructure. I think you start to see a lot of uh, a lot of uh, flow move there. I think Cowan, it becomes a really interesting counterparty for a lot of different folks. The Cowan was just acquired by TD Bank. Uh, they're offering a suite of prime services for crypto. I think the question becomes: Does TD Bank allow them to continue operating those prime services? I don't think we've we've gotten any clarity, at least publicly, one way one way or another. But I think it's firms like that where you start to see the volume shift to. Uh, it's a lot of it's a lot of kind of safer places, obviously Coinbase. But we're, I mean, we're hearing you know we service about 150 institutional clients directly, uh, and and among our client base, there is a there's definitely a trepidation until there are more. Uh, venues available in the market for U.S.-based customers, especially New York-based customers to deploy capital.
0: NASDAQ, right? I mean, yeah, uh, but that, we're is, seeing Are they we're offering seeing
3: trading news? or is that just custody?
0: So first they said custody and then they said, I think Bitcoin, Ethereum trading uh, initially will be offered. But I guess that leads to the next obvious question, which is, is all this enforcement happening to make way for the very obvious players? the fidelities and the nasdaq's i mean i
3: don't i don't think so because if, if that was the case we wouldn't have stuff like uh, sec sab 121 which is the sec staff accounting bulletin which basically uh, requires that a custodian holds equal us dollars in their balance sheet for to crypto that they're costing this is a public bank and so that's created huge problems like boney Mellon as an example uh, has wanted to go full force into crypto but they're basically being required to hold the same amount of us dollars in their balance sheet as crypto which means you have a, you have an opportunity cost of U.S. Treasuries, which is about five percent, right? And what are you going to ca- charge in custody? Like maybe thirty basis points if you're crushing your customers on fees. So I, I, it's not like they're being super welcoming to the Goldman's and the BNY Melons and others that are trying to move in, especially on the public side.
0: That makes a lot of sense. I mean, yeah, you're not going to hold a whole bunch of cash to back your Bitcoin if you can make five percent sitting in risk-free Treasuries.
1: Yeah, we've seen that. We've seen that in Europe. Um... Yeah, and it, and it's and it's not like I mean, for trading firms and so on, they can have you know, foreign or offshore entities, but a, a bank that's regulated in the U.S. But if they go to Paraguay or wherever they want on the planet, they will still be regulated by the U.S. regulator anyway. So they don't have that option to
0: just go and move offshore. That works for American citizens too, by the way. <laughs> Like My favorite comments over the whole entire bull run was, dude, stop complaining about taxes and just move to Portugal, as if like I just like, buy a house in Portugal, all of a sudden I don't owe taxes in the United States for the next decade, right? People don't realize even if you give up your citizenship, if you have a certain amount of wealth, you'll owe taxes for the next decade. So to your point, it's not possible to run away from the United States government by simply uh, replacing where you uh, go to the bathroom or put your suitcase or, or sleep, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's absurd. So what, then I guess, you know, with only a few minutes left, what do you guys, I hate to make grand predictions, but do you think that we can continue in this environment to see Bitcoin and the crypto market rise? Or do you think that we just kind of got, what did Capo say, the biggest bull trap ever? Um, <laughs> I just love your opinion on what, if gun to your head, uh, which direction do you think we'll be going the rest of this year? I think yeah. right. oh, oh, oh,
2: oh, oh, Can I can I sit in the fence and predict volatility? <laughs> um, yes, that's fine. Like, yeah. So basically, as I said, as I started off this podcast, it's going to be hard to trust any rally until liquidity improves. So for me, I'm just looking out for an improvement in liquidity, um, and really that can only really happen once there's a bit more regulatory clarity. If someone steps up and offers these like USD payment rails, like we haven't really talked about that that much, but these USD payment rails the crypto firms that provide liquidity have been cut off from these firms and, and yeah you know, i mean that's the reason like, yeah yeah exactly yeah so i'd be interested here like Yo's take on that but um like they used to be able to transfer 24-7, uh, stable stablecoins for fiat. Now that's not an option. Um, so that's bound to make operations less efficient. Um, and particularly in the US, then we, we, we're seeing that effect. Things like USD spreads on, on Bitcoin pairs, like USD slippage. We're seeing US exchanges now of less liquidity than non-US exchanges. So is there going to be a wave of like investors now? Say the next bull, bull run happens, is that going to happen on overseas exchanges? probably the likes of Binance and, uh, and things like that with Tether pairs um, so yeah as I said we, we need probably more regulatory clarity and then a friendlier banking environment few banks to step up and put their hands up to accept crypto deposits um, and yeah. that's probably a topic for another day uh, i do believe that will happen and anecdotally i've heard stories that 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 is happening and um, but they don't want to come out basically and publicly say that they're taking on crypto deposits because look that you'll have to explain that decision to shareholders etc Um, nowadays so um the smaller banks in particular probably have an incentive to take on crypto deposits especially with the With the consolidation we're seeing in the banking sector at the minute, everything's flowing into JP Morgan, everything's flowing into Citi, um, and these smaller banks are going to get left behind. So I have a bit of faith that potentially once this passes, and it's looking like maybe it already has passed in terms of the banking crisis, that um, we might see a friendlier banking environment for crypto with a few more firms raising their hands. We could be... Like, yeah, before it was concentrated in Silvergate and Signature. And now maybe we've yeah. got
0: multiple. There have been reports. Cars. I mean, I know immediately that Coinbase went to Cross River or something, but that, that a lot of these small banks are sort of salivating at the opportunity to find anything to sort of improve their business at the moment. But then obviously, you kind of talked about, it's not necessarily where you get banked. It's the fact that Signet and Sen are gone and sort of a lack of clarity as to that, that settle the 24-7 settlement side of it yeah exactly
1: Yo, go ahead and that, that's just uh, yeah yeah sorry go on yeah. yeah there's there's uh there's european competitors i'm trying to make a name there um i'm optimist i mean i'm probably always the optimist in the room being i mean we're all entrepreneurs here yeah, but yeah. uh it's, it's very much uh um i'll be optimistic that someone will find it you know just just embrace the business opportunity and uh, you know smaller banks will, will actually go in service Uh, crypto customers and such doing doing the work that they have to do and it um and you know there's some bad actors are flushed out in the process that's also fine it's true that it always sort of creates a bit of like at least a mini winter in a way especially on the liquidity side is just uh i mean to give you to give you guys an idea um people don't i mean i mentioned it earlier in 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 the podcast but we essentially trade five six times our balance sheet every day so if something you know is closed it's not 24-7, but it, I don't know, it's, it's open 12, 15 hours or so. It does have an impact on the business. Um, and if we start to get affected, everyone is affected essentially because we, we do expect to have the best access and you know, the larger customers and such. So, so everyone does get affected there. On on the more optimistic side, I mean, um, I think these trillion dollars of you know fresh liquidity and so on are going to go somewhere. So I'm not, I'm not saying everyone should buy crypto as such, but I think... Mean, any place myself as the nature of the business anyway we, we do have a delta on this space so um i'll be more i'll be more optimistic long term i don't know if it's a year i don't know if it takes three years i don't really care about how long it takes but i think we we, we we're building a new financial system and i think it uh, you know, deserves to be supported as such.
0: yeah we want it to be supported by the old financial system i guess that's the problem <laughs> <Good job. laughs>
3: i i I would. I, I hate giving predictions, but the thing I'm looking out for is all the SEC lawsuits, uh, specifically Ripple. Uh, and that one is, is, you know, look, part of the volatility and part of the, the giant rise in open interest on, on XRP is, is, uh, is obviously the market. There's some belief, at least the market is pricing they in that win. Ripple is going to win their lawsuit. Um, if they do, I don't think it's a buy the rumor, sell the news event. Actually, I do think that there is going to be impact in the market. I think it is it is a tremendously impactful event if uh, ripple settles with the sec after this lawsuit or if they defeat the sec or there's some outcome in, in 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 that kind of range i'm not a lawyer an expert um but but i think that's really important i think you know kind of how we see you know if you watch when what during that grayscale uh you know d- during the initial grayscale hearing right you kind of saw bitcoin's price moving as it was very clear that grayscale you know was was doing well within that hearing and so Those are the types of things that I think are incredibly impactful. I think regulation is really important this year. If we can get regulatory clarity. And also, like, can we just go, like, a week with something not blowing up? Like, that's the single most important thing. Like, every week there's more stupidity that happens in crypto, whether it's, like, the CFTC coming after CZ, whether it's oil or blowing up. And now they actually didn't blow up because they got their money back or this or that and all these different things, right? And so we just need, like, we need, like, a month. Like, I, I know I'm... I'll I'll take a week, I'll settle out a week, but I, w- I would really ask if we can go a month without doing anything stupid, uh, and if we can win a couple of these court cases, I think that's really what we need. That's going to lay the foundation for the market to absolutely rip, but we need those things to happen.
0: The legal system has generally been pretty dismissive of the SEC's cases. I mean, the Voyager bankruptcy judge, of course, that's now locked up again, but the Voyager bankruptcy judge completely laughed off the SEC. And as you said, the early days of the Grayscale case, I mean, that judge was dunking left and right on Gensler and, and his friends. It's important to remember that uh, just because a regulator says it doesn't mean that it's the law, right? Yeah, and, and so, I, I will
3: add, though, I will add, and this is from somebody I know that is a an attorney or is a partner to law firm. If Grayscale beats the SEC in this lawsuit— the SEC can just reject grayscale on some other grounds again. Yeah, of course, so they can just continue yeah, it does not to mean reject, we're getting, reject we're it. We're not getting an ETF yeah.
0: with Gensler. There's no. absolutely no. zero chance. Yeah. Scaramucci the other day was on, and he was like, "Nothing happens in crypto that's good until Gensler's gone." Flat out, he was like, "Full Did stop." Did anybody see the Gensler
3: sweaty armpits next to Elizabeth Warren picture the other day? That was that was a no, it really
0: sounds hot. Um, There was actually an awesome article on Scaramucci this morning in in Bloomberg. I think he said he was a cockroach uh, that he was going to survive every nuclear bomb. It was a pretty awesome quote. But that, guys, we're right up against time, 1030 here. And, yo, I know you particularly uh, have to have to get out of here. Josh, Mm -hmm. uh, thanks for joining for your 793rd time. Connor, uh, yo, welcome. First time. You guys were awesome. Uh, Welcome back anytime. A really awesome insight there. And... I think it reminds everyone to remain somewhat skeptical of the moves that are happening right now until we have a whole lot more clarity on what's happening in the banking system, and we have a whole lot more liquidity supporting the moves. That's the uh, gist of, just of what I got out of it. I will, of course, be back tomorrow, 9.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, ranting uh, for my one time a week about the news and all the stupidity in the market that Josh just alluded to. So I hope everybody tunes in for that. Otherwise, gentlemen, everyone, thank you so much. See you next time. Peace. Thank you. Let's go.